When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Legends are made in the NFL. And the quest for the Lombardi Trophy continues. Brady moving and looking and has time and then throws and that is caught for a touchdown. Intercepted by Wilford. Vince Wilford with a game changer. You're listening to Patriots Beat. Two minutes. Second down and six. Brady. Quick throw and complete. First down. Right here on CLNSRadio.com. Good afternoon, Patriots fans, and welcome to Patriots Beat. I am your host, Jeff Kane, at Boston Fat Guy on Twitter. Joining me, as always, will be Bob Snowden, at Snowden Bob. And you, of course, are listening to CLNS Radio. Following us online on Twitter, at CLNS Radio, and, of course, on Facebook, www.facebook.com slash CLNS fans. And, of course, you can follow our podcast, at Patriots Beat. No live calls today, but that's all right. We still got a lot of good things we're going to talk about here on Patriots Beat. And of course, if you miss this or any other great podcast on the CLNS Radio Network, you can download them for free on iTunes by searching iTunes.com/CLNSRadio, and of course, Stitcher. Do the same thing: Stitcher.com and search CLNS Radio. Got a lot to talk about today, and of course, uh, we'll bring in Bob because Bob always gets me up and heated. So, Mr. Snowden. How well, are you today? I'm doing good, Jeff. You too, and a happy Father's Day to everybody that's listening in. Um, and, uh, you know, they, we're actually moving up to that next level, uh, going out of OTAs and now going into mini camp, which which really is a mandatory camp, so we'll see what happens there. Um, and Tom Brady. The conversation is Tom Brady as it is every year, uh, and the reaction of people uh, about the and he's not in the, quote, top five quarterback list, and uh, none of that matters. The fact is, who else would you want to quarterback your team? And what a class act he is. And I'm, I know I sound like a, a, a Tom Brady is the greatest thing in, on the earth uh, person, but he just is such a class act. I mean, even the, the Garoppolo signing or coming in as, as a second-round draft pick a lot of quarterbacks would have got really ticked off about that, and he took it in stride. He didn't get mad about it. If if you've seen some of the comments he's made about how lucky he is to be playing in New England uh, and and the fact that he's been able to play in the same system his entire career, uh, which is a big advantage, and, and the same coach, uh, and, and, you know, Robert Kraft. And I know there's a lot of Boston fans and New England fans that, Put down Robert Kraft, but I can't think of a better owner in the NFL than, than Robert Kraft. Can you? 
I really can't think of anyone better than Robert Kraft. I mean, I think over the years, not as many people have put him down. I mean, I think what we all remember when, when Pete Carroll was here as a coach was him out there with a stopwatch, you know, watching to Bucky Jones and how Pete Carroll was going to make him into this big-time uh, shutdown corner, large cornerback, you know, and, and be able to shut everyone down. Well, that didn't work in New England. It's obviously working in Seattle. But I think that's kind of one of the things that we, we used to laugh about here in New England. But Robert Kraft is a top-notch owner. Tom Brady's right. And, I mean, where else would you want to play if you're Tom Brady? I mean, he's been in the same system now his entire career. If you look back at, uh, you know, the quarterback before him, of course, Drew Bledsoe. Bledsoe had so many different offensive coordinators, especially during the Pete Carroll years. I mean, I remember there was Ernie Zampezi, uh, you know, and then it just year after year it just changed what was going to happen with 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 Drew Blood. So we never stayed in that same system, and and you see it happening with quarterbacks out there that you know don't stay in the same system. I mean, I know we all laugh at Mark Sanchez, but look at what Mark Sanchez had to do. I mean, obviously he's no longer a Jets quarterback, but he had so many different systems in his time in New York, they never allowed him to just stay in one system. And I think that's part of the reason that Tom Brady is as great as he's been. You know, a guy like Peyton Manning, he spent his entire career pretty much in the same offensive system. Even when they brought him to Denver, they started they, they brought over some of the things that he was used to doing. And that's key in quarterback lifetime. And I tell you, we are truly blessed to have Tom Brady as the New England Patriots quarterback. I, I was at not his first game, of course. His first game NFL action was against Detroit on Thanksgiving when he was one for three for three yards, a completion to Rod Rutledge. But I was at the game that Drew Bledsoe got hurt, and uh, I myself was one of the biggest Drew Bledsoe fans of my in, uh, of the entire nation. You know, I love Drew Bledsoe. He, he was just someone that, you know, it was right in my formative years when he got drafted, you know, it was when I really started getting into watching the NFL draft and all the excitement around New England having the first-round pick in the draft and, and whether it was going to be Bledsoe or Meyer and, you know, Bill Parcells coming in and, and, and the new Flying Elvis logo, all this excitement, and they picked Bledsoe. And I love Drew Bledsoe. He brought, you know, he brought the Patriots to a, to a Super Bowl. He had, you know, a rocket arm. But I remember sitting there. It was, uh, I believe it was September 23rd. It was a couple weeks after... 9-11, and I was there with my brother and uh, our friend Chris Carrion and, and uh, my good friend Tom Cowan, and, and Bloodsoe got through an interception or something like that, and I said, he's a $100 million mistake, <laughs> and Cowan actually punched me, punched me in the face, and the security came down, and, and, and you know, I was like, no, no, we're friends, it's okay, and this and that, and then Tom Brady, of course, comes in, and and he led them down the field. It was 10 to three, led them down the field. And, you know, he, he almost got him into the end zone. And lo and behold, they, they lost the game 10 to three, but the following week they come out and 44 to 13 victory over the uh, Indianapolis Colts. And check me on that. I'm trying to do that off the top of my head, but the rest is history. I mean, the, the Patriots of 2001 started out one and three. Of course they got murdered the following week. I think it was 30 to 10 by, uh, by the uh, Miami dolphins. But, the rest of it was history, and I just sit back and I look at the kid who took over in the Jets game, and then I was uh, I was there against Doug Flutie and the San Diego Chargers, where 
they won the game in overtime, and I, I walked out of the stadium that day, and I took off my Drew Bledsoe jersey, and I walked into the pro shop and bought a Tom Brady jersey. And uh, it was just, you know, one of those replica jerseys that following year, I, uh, a girl I was dating bought me a, a, a Tom Brady authentic jersey. It's, you know, 13 years later now, and I still wear it every Sunday. I mean, we are extremely lucky to have such an amazing, amazing quarterback. If you had to take a minute and and think about of all the games you've been to, Jeff, which game do you remember best of all the Patriots games? Which one jumps out at you as, man, if I could just go to one more game and see it again live, that's the game I would go to. Threw a curve at you on that one. That's not, no, that's not I actually, anywhere. You noticed that. No, no. I actually can I – can, I remember it like it was yesterday. Um, it was 2004. Uh, the AFC Divisional Playoff uh, game against the Indianapolis Colts. Um, uh, just an amazing game. We were sitting up in uh, in Section 302. We were probably five or six rows back. Um, it was myself, my cousin Bobby, my cousin Jimmy, my brother. There was, there was probably 15 of us there. Um, we just had a great time tailgating. And back that time, you know, it was, uh, you know, Peyton Manning was the high – scoring offense. I think that was the year that um, he threw 49 touchdown passes. I might be wrong there, but I think that was the year that he threw the 49 touchdown passes. And um, I just remember going in there and, and, you know, Manning has always been, I love Peyton Manning. I think he's a great quarterback. You know, I I don't like him because of the fact that he's a pain in the Patriots' butt, but he's a great quarterback. But at the time, you know, he had a commercial where he was sitting there going, cut that meat, cut that meat. I don't know if you remember that commercial. He was cheering on someone. And the entire stadium started screaming, cut that meat, cut that meat. Every time he was up to try to do his stuff, it was so loud. Corey Dillon absolutely owned that game. And it was a game that I'll, I'll, I'll never forget. It was the effort play of Teddy Bruschi when he stripped the ball of Edger and James. I mean, just was like whacking at the ball, and he pulled it out from underneath him. And it was it was a twenty to three absolute wallop the Patriots delivered, and then of course the following week they go on to uh, to beat uh, Pittsburgh. And again, check me, I might be wrong here, but I think it was forty one to twenty seven before they went on to play Philadelphia. But that game was probably the game that I had the most fun at, and just will remember my entire life. I mean that that team was just solid from top to bottom. I mean, the 2003 team, I think, had the best defense we've ever seen for the Patriots. But that team, you know, it had a a quarterback in Tom Brady that was, you know, I mean, really, that's when he started to become the unbelievable pinpoint accuracy. You had players like Deion Branch and and, and David uh, Gibbons at, you know, wide receiver, and, and Troy Brown as the slot guy. Uh, man, the running game, Corey Dillon, I mean, I can't say enough about Corey Dillon. I loved Corey Dillon. I mean, over 1,600 yards rushing that year. Uh, it was just amazing. You know, that let me, was, let me was, ask you a question. Yeah. When they got Dillon, were you happy before he ever put on the Patriots uniform? Were you happy they got him, or were you going, this guy's a head case? You know, it's funny when you sit back and you think about that time, because we had heard about you know, all these things that, that Dylan did and how he just, you know, he was just a bad apple. And I didn't know what to think at the time because it had been since college, since at, at Washington when he got in some trouble. I mean, he was, he had 
towed a pretty fine line in in the NFL. And, but he, and he, he if you remember, he actually refused to go in a game towards the end of his career. Um, they were way behind. Yeah, yeah essentially, yeah. they were way behind in the game, and the coach, and I don't remember who the coach was at that time, but wanted to put him in, and he refused to go in a game. That, that was the thing that was sticking in my mind before he came. You know, it was, still, it was believe it or not, Marvin Lewis was... That really? Coach, that, that, he was there forever, I think, he, yeah. He has been there. He's, I mean, he's still there. I think he's the second longest tenured coach in the NFL with the same team behind Bill Belichick. But, you know, I, I was... I was wondering about that because I thought I was really high on Steven Jackson um, that year in the draft. And I remember we traded, it was the second round draft pick that we traded to Cincinnati for Corey Dillon. And I was like, oh man. And then Steven Jackson was falling in the draft. And so was Vince Wilfork. And had the Patriots not made that trade for, um, Corey Dillon, they might have picked up Steven Jackson. I mean, Michael Hawley of WEI has written two great books. One of them was, was Patriots Reign, and, and in there, I believe, and I, I'm trying to remember, it's been a while since I've read it, but they were very high on on Steven Jackson. They might have picked him up. Now, I mean, the Patriots still would have been great, but, I mean, that defensive tackle in Vince Wilfork that they got, you know, in, in a number 20 pick that just kept falling, both those players, Jackson and, uh, and, um, uh, Vince were falling, and of course the Pages also had the 32nd pick that year, and and got Benjamin Watson. Um, so yeah, I mean, I didn't know what to think. I was excited because I knew how great Corey Dillon could be, um, but at the same point, yeah, I was a little worried about certain things and how we would fly in the offense. But the chemistry of of him. Now, one of the things that really helped the Patriots is they had a solid locker room back then. The the players wouldn't let someone be the bad apple. Um, and they were veteran. They were, they were just some really solid people in the, in the uh, clubhouse that, that Dylan could come in and play here, and he had to toe the line. Um, there's places you can go that that does happen, places you can't. I was watching a, a special on Al Davis um, a couple of days ago on, on the NFL Network, I think it was, but but they were talking about how he liked his players to to be rebels, to go their own way. Uh, the Patriots were just the opposite, and I think that's what helps when you get a player like like Corey Dillon. That he came in and it was structured, and he wasn't going to be allowed to mess around, or he wouldn't have stayed here. I mean that locker room. I mean that's one thing I want to get into today is that locker room back in in the early two thousands. I mean. With guys like Teddy Bruschi and Willie McGinnis and and you know Vince Wilfork, while he was a, a rookie, still you know he towed the line and and you had guys like Matt Light and Kevin Falk and of course Tom Brady and and, and just uh, that was a great great locker room. Especially I mean Rodney Harrison. I mean they all just I mean you look back and and you, you wonder I mean the all these players came together. A lot of them. That were left over from the Bill Belich, I'm sorry, the Bill Parcells draft, that '95 and '96 draft. I mean, those brought some great players. Even '94, they brought Willie McGinnis, first round pick, fourth overall. You know, then uh, Ted Johnson in '95, Ty Law in '95. You know, those were guys that that helped win those first couple championships. Well, that uh, lawyer that Malloy that next year, uh, because Malloy yeah. and, and Law were just. The combination of them is what made the secondary as strong as it. Oh, exactly, 
and, and you know, I mean, just unbelievable. And then, of course, you know, you got Teddy Bruschi there. I mean, an undersized defensive end out of Arizona who who had set the uh, sack record in college just came out, and he really didn't have a he really didn't have a uh, a spot on the team. He was basically a third down rusher, you know, a, a specialty guy, and, he, and then he becomes the heart and soul of the New England Patriots. I mean, that was great. I mean, that that brings me to this question, Bob. Do we? I mean, we, we we've been excited this year about what the Patriots have done on defense. We both have been very excited about the Darrell Rivas signing and the Brandon Browner signing, you know, and, and the fact that they brought in a, vet, a quality veteran like Will Smith to go along with, you know, a Chandler Jones and a Gerard Mayo and, and Vince Wilfork. Does this Patriots defense, and, and, and moreover this team, is it starting to feel to you like it's getting back to that team concept away from, you know, the, the star concept that I've really thought it's been – since after the uh, the Patriots lost in in 2006 to the Colts in the AFC Championship game, and they went out and they you know they spent spent uh, a draft pick to get Randy Moss, and they spent a draft pick to get Wes Welker, and all you know all of a sudden they started throwing all this money at the offense, and it became the Tom Brady show. And I love Tom Brady; he's a great quarterback, but it kind of just became you know we're going to throw everything at Tom Brady, and and they let things kind of slide a little bit. I feel like they could be getting back to that team concept. Do you think that? What ha- what is happening? Do you think, I think the locker room is strong? Yeah, I think it's a little bit um, more so this year than it has been in past years. I still don't think it's nearly as strong as it was back then because there's no real vocal leaders back right now. Uh, Mayo is is a very quiet leader. Uh, Will Fork is the only one that really will speak his piece. Uh, but but I don't know of any other player that that controls like McGinnis did, or like Brewski did, or like Harrison did. I think they've got some very good players, and I, I think they do have some really stars. I mean, Rivas is about as big a star as you can get at cornerback. I think Chandler Jones is about to become a star. Uh, but I don't, I don't see the vocal presence back there, but I do see the team concept. And, and you and I have talked about this defense, uh, and, and I'm convinced if there are no major injuries, this is going to be the best defense we've seen the Patriots have since back in the days of the players you just mentioned, the, the Willie McGinnis and the Richard Seymour and the Malloy and Law and Bruski and Harrison, and I'm certain I'm missing some others. Uh, Ted Johnson you mentioned a little while ago. Uh, I, I really do think this defense um, will play more as a team, and Browner, obviously, I forgot to mention him as a key part of the defense. I just don't know, and, and maybe you know more than I do, that any of them are the real vocal leaders like Bruski was or Harrison was. I don't think you'll ever have the vocal leaders that Bruski and Harrison were. I can see Dev McCourty stepping up. I mean, he's he's... He can be a, a outspoken person, and of course, Tom Brady now is—I mean, he's—he's he's basically he's become, you know, a coach on the field. I mean, everyone's always talked about, you know, Peyton Manning being coach on the field. Well, well, Tom Brady is being a coach on the field now, and of course, uh, there were a lot of media reports this week about uh, Brady and Amendola and Edelman working in the end zone during OTAs, and Amendola not running something right, and and him coming out and saying it to Amendola, and then the next play he runs it exactly right and you know Brady throwing uh to your favorite person Kemba Tompkins and it was a great play I guess and he just gets all fired up and goes over and you know high fives him head bumps him you know that sort of stuff so you and uh, you could see that last year that's why it kind of ticks me off a little bit 
when people talk about Brady and, man, he's, he's not the quarterback he was. He's not going to be the quarterback he was, but he's a leader. And, and I mentioned that in an article I wrote this week. Who else would you want? And we talked about him to start the show. But, I mean, he's, he, remember the Carolina game when they didn't call that interference in the end zone? Uh, on the last play of the game that he and he rushed over to the official. In fact, there's a, a picture of him jawing at the official. Uh, how many times last year did we see him literally screaming at players that were in the wrong position? And people were knocking him for it. It, it was kind of like, whoa, hang on, Tom, you're losing your cool. Hey, when they're young kids and they're playing in the wrong position, they need someone to, to chew them out. I don't think it's pat on the back and, oh, yeah, go ahead, you'll get it next time. Uh, so Brady is that leader. I, I agree with you. I think he's very vocal on the offensive side, and I think even the defenders have the utmost respect for him. Uh, so, yeah, when I said no leader in the locker room, I, I, I was thinking more towards the defense, not even thinking about Brady, because Brady is a leader uh, if he just learned how to high-five when someone comes off the field. <laughs> <laughs> just, you know. uh, he's got to get the burger time going with uh, Julian Edelman. I don't know if you've seen that uh, YouTube thing with Julian Edelman eating cheeseburgers. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, let's talk a little bit about this offense because, uh, you know, I used, it, it's impossible not to see with the way that Twitter rocks these days, you know, when people are out there on social media and, and they're talking about, oh, they don't, they haven't surrounded Brady with enough to win, and and I, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on let me, I, I beg to differ. I think what they've done is actually built a supporting cast on offense around Tom Brady that, while it may not have the pizzazz of a a Randy Moss or you know the the intermediate skill of a Wes Welker or the the two tight end attacks with uh, Mr. Jailbird and and Gronkowski, I really think that this offense is built it, to to be able to attack teams in a multiple of ways, the same way that that 2004 offense was was built. I mean, Deion Branch and David Givens weren't household names. I mean, Troy Brown was an overachieving slot guy, you know, an eighth-round They don't even have eight rounds anymore. Eight-round draft pick uh, out of Marshall in 1993, cut by the Patriots a few times before he, he finally came on. I mean, and and you saw what that team was able to do. And, you know, they had a, a good tight end, a decent tight end, Daniel Graham, um, a, a great running back, as I said, in, in uh, Corey Dillon, and, and an offensive line that was – had some great players. I mean, uh, Dan Copen, um, you know, going back to, uh, 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 of course, Matt Light at, at left tackle. And, I mean, those, that 2014 uh, was just filled with it, good players that, as a sum, made them great. And I think this this season's team could be the same way. I don't know how you feel about that. No, I agree. And, and again, I'll refer to the article I wrote earlier. Uh, the multitude of pass catchers they have – to keep defenses on off balance, to me, is going to make them one of the most potent offenses in the NFL, both running and passing. Uh, you know, Gronk is going to be back. Isn't that right, Dr. Rose-Colored Glasses? I love how you call me Dr. Rose-Colored Glasses. <laughs> Don't forget, that's a Ph.D. Yeah, I know, I know. Or a Ph.D. I gave it for the Patriots. Huh? <laughs> but, I mean, with, with, with him hopefully being back, and, and Edelman and Amadola and LaFell, uh, 
Josh Boyce healthy, and, and I agree with you. I think this is going to be a possible breakout year for Boyce as well as it will be for, uh, for you know, the, the Aaron Dobson, who we're all thinking he's going to be the big gun. Uh, and, and I don't think they're going to have that wide open spread it out. But I, I, you know, and then you've got Tompkins, and I'm, I, I'm not completely down on Tompkins. I thought Tompkins played much better than anyone expected, especially in the first half of last year. I just think he needs to take a step up because of some of the, the mechanics of the position that he wasn't playing. But I'm not I'm not down on, on Tompkins. I think he can be decent. I, I, I My main point was if there's one wide receiver, because you can only carry so many wide receivers on the bubble, I would think it would be Tompkins. Uh, and you've got Gallon coming in and, and you know, you you and your pony backfield, I agree, even agree with you on that with Vereen and White. Uh, and now, I don't know whether you saw it, I was <laughs> reading something today, but you know the only position I'm concerned about on offense right now is the tight end. And they've got James Devlin out there catching passes. Uh, and I know he did. he played tight end a couple of times last year, but mainly as a blocking tight end. But they've actually got him working on some catches, so he may end up being... That tight end I've been crying for, and and hopefully it's not, you know, a couple of the players that they have recently signed, and and I I almost don't know their names like Kyle Offering. Who the hell is Kyle Offering? He went you and yeah, his own baby. I, I mean, come on, he's certainly not the answer. Rocking it down in Durham, the Wildcats, my friend. Uh, I was when they signed him, and I I tweeted that they had signed him, and people were responding who knew that that I was really pumping to get some experienced tight end. And people were saying, well, does that mean they're not going to sign anyone else? And I'm going, God, I hope they'll not. I mean, come on. Uh, and he may be the nicest guy in the world, but he's like number 90 on the charts. So, uh, you know, as as far as the 90-man roster goes. So that's the only position that I'm still a little concerned about, but not as much as I was. And I agree with you. I think that they've got so many different options that the offense will not be a problem. And as much as we talked about last year and as upset as we got about last year and as frustrated as we were as last year, they scored 557 points. I mean, come on. That was third in the NFL. So... I think they'll be better this year than they were last year, and they put up 557 points last year. Well, it's funny, you know, because as I said, you know, I think the 2007 team really changed New England Patriots Nation's idea of what people needed to win, and we all got so excited about that that 18 and 0 record that that of course was blemished in the Super Bowl, and and the way that Tom Brady you know, uh, score touchdown passes and, you know, 50 touchdown passes, setting the record up until Peyton Manning broke it. And Randy Moss, of course, with 23 touchdown pa- uh, touchdown receptions. And we started to think, you know, I, I, I laugh at this a little bit now because I'm guilty of it too. You know, we had the three championships, and we'd always sit there and everyone, you know, would be on, on Peyton Manning's coattails saying, oh, Peyton Manning's the greatest quarterback that ever lived. And, and up here in New England, we're sitting there going, hey, we have a quarterback right now that's got three Super Bowl championships. And we were all so excited when, when, when Brady beat Manning's record. And it re- I think it really changed what Patriots fans wanted. They wanted these 
dominating scores and, and, and just to, you know, dominate people. It wasn't enough to win anymore. You know, the, uh, the excitement of winning that first championship was replaced by, you know, a longing for the next one. And, you know, they had three and four years. And, and then, of course, they were very close in the 2006 AFC Championship game of, of beating the Colts. In fact, they were up 20-3 to three at one point. Um, and, of course, the Colts went on and, and beat the Bears that year. And then the Patriots were just went insane with what they did. And, of course, 2010 with, with, uh, with how great Brady was and, and, and 2011 when they got back to the Super Bowl and that offense and how quickly it ran. And everyone just started to think about these stats. And, and I mean, Belichick has even come out there and, and said, you know, stats are for losers. But it was so much fun. I mean, it, it, it was, was. I'm not going to say it was. But especially early in the year before defenses started to adjust and get a little bit better. And, and by the, the last quarter of the season, the offense wasn't quite as powerful as it had been earlier, which would have been almost impossible to do all year anyway. But early when you'd watch Moss go into the end zone and make these great catches, and and he and Brady's timing was just perfect. I mean, they, they, Brady knew when Moss was going to make his move. Moss knew when Brady was going to throw the ball. And it was fun. And it was fun to watch games that you didn't have to be nervous for the whole game because they were scoring 40 points, 50 points. I mean, it, it was just unbelievable. So we all got on that treadmill, and I did too, um, because it was just, you know, so much fun. And, you're, and the team was so good. You just felt like they couldn't lose. I mean, you literally felt like that season. The only thing I remember most of all about that season, as they got to their last couple of games, I was thinking, lose. You need to lose a game, guys, because I don't want you going into the playoffs with no losses. The odds start growing every game you play, and you're playing the good teams. So I was actually, I don't want to say rooting for them to lose, but I would not have been real disappointed if they had lost either of their last two games just to get out of that spell and not go into the Super Bowl as they did, just so confident that they were going to win that game. And they should have, and I know you and I have talked about this a little bit, and we can we can agree to disagree a little bit on that one. But, I, you know, the offense was so powerful all year that you just thought it was going to be automatic. They were going to, it, there was no way they were going to score any less than 31, 32, 33 points a game. And it was fun. Yeah, but they scored 17, and, you know, this is supposed to be a happy program. I'm, I'm ready to go sit in the closet with the doors shut and suck my thumb and, and dream of my happy place. That, that was horrible. But, I mean, going back to, you know, the 2014, which I, I, to this day, I mean, they ended up winning the, the Super Bowl, a 14-2 and two team. I mean, the, the leading wide receiver on that team was, was David Givens, 56 receptions for 874 yards. David Patton I was, was just going to say, David Patton came out of, he was, what, stuffing potatoes in a, a factory or something. Oh, yeah, David He was, he yep, was David. you know, and a little guy, and it was like, who the heck is David Patton? Yet he made some great plays and was a key part of that team. The out-of-bounds play yeah. wasn't was out-of-bounds. Yeah. yeah, back in 2001, that was, in, yeah, when his head was on the uh, on the yep. sideline, and oh, yeah. But, I mean, that was a team that I, I think we can kind of look at the Patriots this year and, and say maybe, you know, they had so many different pass catchers. I mean, they had... David Givens and David Patton and Dion Branch and Daniel Graham and, and Kevin Falk, Troy Brown, Christian Fourier, you know, uh, Patrick Pass, the fullback, 
you know, catching 28 balls. I, I think that, you know, Brady used to say his favorite wide receiver was the open mm-hmm. one. And, and we saw it happen, uh, you know, after Moss left and, and, and Brady got a little locked on to Wes Welker. And, and even last year, he really, I, I think Julian Edelman's 105 catches, well, Brady did lock on to him a little bit. It, 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 it was more along the lines of he was the only player that played all 16 games. That's why he had so many receptions. I think this year, if, I mean, if you figure they keep – I think they keep seven wide receivers this year, Matthew Slater being one of them. But I could see them keeping Edelman and Amendola and, uh, you know, Dobson. Those, those three are absolute locks on this team. And then you have, you know, then you have Josh Boyce, who I think is, is – as close to a lock as you could possibly get, uh, Kembrell Tompkins, you know, and Brandon LaFell, I think all six of them uh, can be used. And I wouldn't be surprised if you saw a lot more, you know, three and four wide receiver sets this year and anything you get out of Rob Gronkowski. While I still am on record as saying I think he'll be back for game one, I think, as I said last week, that they'll work him in slowly. They They probably won't have him on the field for – you know, 65, 70 snaps. You know, maybe they work them slowly in and, and you know, have them at about 30 snaps a game while they have all these different position groups that they can go with. And, and as I said last week, this new pony backfield that they've tried in OTAs, and, of course, there's, you know, no pads or anything like that, but maybe the two, t- uh, two tight end set is now replaced by the two running back set. Uh, you know, there's so many different options that they can do with, uh, the two backs in the backfield and three wide receivers or two wide receivers and a tight end. So the key, I'm really the key excited. to this offense, Jeff, is will the offensive line be better than it was last year? Because if if and you remember particularly that first half of the year, Brady just was getting killed. I forget how many times he was sacked, and some of them were his own fault. And and part of the reason, and here's where you go back again to rookies and, and being used to each other, he had to hold the ball longer because the rookies weren't getting where he wanted them to be. And then you would see him take much longer than he normally does in releasing the ball. And and all of that was combined with the fact that they they were terrible when teams rushed up the middle giving him any protection. So my big thing yeah. is... They've got some big bodies. I know you like your man Stork, and I do too. And and they've some, got some other big bodies now that hopefully will be able to to do what's necessary to give Brady that little extra time. And by the same token, they'll be able to, without injuries, hopefully run the ball. And Ridley doesn't have fumbleitis um, because I I'm still high on Ridley. I think I'm one of the few people left in New England that that thinks. I mean, I think this is a make-or-break year for Ridley, and I know it's the last year on his contract. So he's got a couple of things going. One, if he wants to make the big bucks, he better hold on to the ball. And and two, if he doesn't, no one's going to want him, and no one's going to pay him anything, and the Pat's going to let him go. So I, I really think Ridley is kind of the forgotten man. We've talked about Vereen, and hopefully Vereen is healthy, uh, because if he is, that's your combination, Is is normally – going to be Ridley and Vereen, and I do like the rookie White uh, in that dual backfield. Uh, but, but again, that offensive line is where we'll know pretty early whether they're jiving, whether they're being able to do what's necessary to have this offense and the diversity that's in this offense uh, work at its maximum. Oh, I think you're, you're completely right there. 
so many times last year, I mean, we talked about it. We've talked about the big one, of course, against the uh, the Denver Broncos, the way that uh, Knighton just absolutely owned yep. Wendell and, and Connolly. Both of them had horrible years. And I, I can't tell you how many times <laughs> that, you know, you figure when, when, when play a play-action pass, I mean, that's supposed to buy you some times. And there were so many times last year where, you know, they go for play-action and Brady would look up and he's sacked. Yep. You know, you're expecting more out of that, but just some poor play in the middle of that line. Even Logan Mankins wasn't as great as he did I in thought the past. last year was I his worst year. I agree with you, and this is a guy that, I mean, I think he's the best guard the uh, the Patriots have had since, you know, Hog mm-hmm. Hanna. And, uh, you know, I think he had a down year last year. I think the entire team had a down year last well, year. Well, and I think Mankins is a potential uh, Hall of Famer, but... Oh, but last year, last year was just not one of his best years. Whether it was because the players around him weren't playing well and he was trying to do too much himself, uh, I don't know. But I, I just felt that there were some games that I looked and people were getting around him that, that you wouldn't expect to get around him. And, and uh, I, he's just such a tough guy. I mean, he is, he is like Hannah was. He is one of those offensive linemen that, you know, chews nails and, spits out fingers and you know <laughs> he is so i'm going to say last year was the anomaly anomaly and that he'll be back to normal this year because he is much better than he played last year oh definitely i think and i think you know definitely having uh whether it's ryan wendell or um you know brian stork the rookie out of florida state or or even dan Connolly sliding back over to center which he did of course play in 2011 after dan copen got hurt the first game of the season as long as they get some solid interior line play, and I mean, there's been talk about the uh, fourth round draft pick Fleming. Uh, he, he's been pictured in moving into guard. We've talked about Marcus Cannon in the back uh, before moving over to guard. Uh, you know, as long as Sebastian Ballmer and, and of course Nate Soldier both play extremely well, those outside tackle positions are are extremely important because they need to set that pocket for Brady, you know, and if, if they can set a pocket and the interior line, if Brady can just step up into that pocket, he's nearly, you know, indefensible, and, and, and if they can open holes for a running game, a lot of good things can happen, but this is the year that, you know, I don't, I, as I, I've said it already, I don't think you're going to see a New England Patriots wide receiver with old, over 100 um, catches, yep. receptions this year, I, I really don't think it's going to happen, I think this is the year that they go back to that you know, I'm going to throw to the open open wide receiver. And hopefully, and, and, and I say this hopefully because there's a lot of talk out there about, you know, making that second-year jump. And, and Amendola can be put right in there with the rookie, uh, last year's rookies and Boyce and Tompkins and Dawkins. And, uh, the second year in a New England offense here and see what they can do. I mean, I'm excited to see what Amendola is able to do. I'm excited to see what... Dobson is able to do this year, and I, I've said it. I think Boyce is going to have an extremely good year. He can line up all over the place, and we've seen a couple uh, things coming out of um, OTAs about Brandon LaFell being a, a red zone presence. So they have the ability now to mix and match personnel uh, like they haven't for a while. I mean, we got all got excited about the you know all the mismatches that an Aaron Hernandez can create and and, and Rob Gronkowski can create, and I, and I love. Gronkowski and I, I loved Wes Welker, and before Hernandez decided to go out and kill people, you know, I, I loved him as well. But they always just attacked the middle of the field, and, and, and you, you could remember 
the way that they were able to play, even last year in the in the AFC Championship game, uh, you know, the Broncos against, I mean, Edelman and, and, and Colley, who were basically playing in that game, they just played man up with a two-deep uh, shell, with the two safeties and a cover two-deep uh, mm-hmm. shell, and they would drop the linebackers into, a, in, into like a hook zone, you know, into a five-yard hook zone, and, and they would... I love it when you talk in technical rubs. terms. <laughs> <laughs> I know. People probably tune off to you. The fat guy's talking technical terms again. We really don't care, Kane. We don't care. <laughs> just win. But just, really. Just win. Yeah, just, don't let them score. Yeah. You score a lot and just win. Yeah, it's it, it's a curse having to... Uh, I think I've read every freaking football book there is out there on on strategy and this and that. I, you know, I, I wish Bill Belichick. You know, I, I'm really excited that maybe that Bill Belichick, after it's all said and done, comes out with a uh, a book. And I doubt he does, but I just want to get into his mind. Boy, just one I day, just, just place, one I'm day. Sure. I mean, he is just such a different guy. He is world, and and thank God that he's our coach. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, you mentioned you mentioned when you when we were talking about the line, um, two players that I was glad to see finally are back in full practice, and it'll be interesting to see them this week uh, because they hadn't been, and that that Solder and, and uh, Volmer, both of them in the OTAs, were taking it very slowly and working their way back, uh, but you know they're they're locks in their position. So I I made the comment. Uh, uh, last week, and I think again, I'll keep referencing my article that if they don't have injuries, that's the biggest thing. Well, again, you know, last year both of them had injury problems. The concussion one is the one that worries me the most. When you when you have that first concussion, and then you come back, and shortly after you come back, you have that second concussion, then it starts to become really a higher risk of you having concussions as your career progresses and and that's the one that would worry me a little bit that uh <clears throat> excuse me that that you know on that line because both those guys are have the potential to be solid for years no oh, exactly and i mean there's no way and, and knock on any piece of wood you can find but there's no way they can be ravaged by injuries the way that i mean look at the star power they lost i mean they lost Gronkowski. They lost, uh, you know, Nate Soldier for a couple games. They lost Vollmer. I mean, they expected their big hitting safety, Adrian Wilson, who was put on IR before the season even started. Shane Vereen missed, you know, eight, eight or nine games. That's just on offense. Danny Amendola was playing at about 50% with a torn abductor muscle off his groin. I mean, that's crazy. Then, then on defense, you turn around and you lose Akeem Tlaib for four games. You lose... Gerard Mayo for, you know, uh, the balance of the season. Will Fork for the the entire year almost. Uh, Tommy Kelly for, I mean, how did they, I still, I mean, the fact that they were able to make it as far as they were, it's unbelievable. It's, it's almost and a miracle. I mean, I mean it, it's it is no one, the most diehard Patriot fan, would have been disappointed after all those injuries if the team only won 10 games. I, I, because no, now, as they were winning, and they won you know, week after week, sometimes in miraculous fashion, 
three touchdowns back in the fourth quarter and, you know, just, just making things happen that, that you don't see happen, then you begin to believe it was a team of destiny. And, and obviously the destiny ended once they got into the playoffs. But, but that team, from a talent level with what they had on the field, were not a 12-14. I mean, they, they, no, they, no way at all. They they definitely played above their heads, and there was a lot of luck involved in it. But heck, luck wins a lot of games, loses a lot of games too. But you make your own luck in certain cases. Your preparation. I mean, Belichick is known for working to the most finite detail before a game and covering things that most other teams don't even think to cover in the practices, just in case it comes up in the game. And you you see players that they get um, that come from other teams. LaFell is an example right now who say, my God, I've never had practices like this. I mean, Carolina had good practices, but we never did anything like this. We never worked as hard. And this is the OTAs. I mean, we're not even in the the training camp yet. Uh, and players just are astounded when they come here. Amendola, when he first came here, was saying the same thing. So that's where Bill Belichick and his his staff have an edge, and by far to me, he's the best coach in the NFL. One of my best friends doesn't like Belichick, and I, I have trouble understanding how he can be down and, and feel like Belichick is not a great coach. I don't know how anyone can feel that way. Be- I, I just don't get I, 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 Yeah, and it's, you know, there was a survey. It was funny because you were talking about Pete Carroll. I forget whether it's ESPN. Anyway, they were, they were talking about the five best coaches right now in the NFL, and Belichick, they had number one, and Carroll, they had as number two. Well, hell, they were both Patriot coaches. And someone someone asked the question, gee, if we had kept Carroll, would he have been that good? And the answer was no, and I agree. Belichick wouldn't have been this good if he hadn't have had the experiences he had when he was with Cleveland. Oh, exactly. So you learn you know, through that I mean, stuff. You do learn through that stuff. And, I mean, I've read, I've read so many different books on Belichick, uh, Education of a Coach by uh, – Hamperstam, I think his last name was, since passed away. But that book was absolutely amazing. And I mentioned Michael Hawley uh, from WEI earlier today with his Patriot Rain book. But then he had uh, War Room, which was just great. And there's been some amazing things just knowing about Belichick. And that's why I hope he writes a, you know, I hope he writes a book or someone writes a biography that, you know, is just a tell-all book. Or, or maybe, you know what, they even announced this week about the uh, hard knocks and the fact that, the Atlanta Falcons are are this year's hard knocks. I mean, how great would that be? I mean, it'll it'll never happen. I mean, we did have uh, we did of course have the uh, the Patriots. Um, uh, what's that? Uh, a football life on yep. NFL yep. Network. Two where they, where they followed, yeah, where they followed Belichick around for the entire season, but that didn't air until the following, you know, the following season or two years later. I mean, how amazing would that be for for Patriots? fans and, and football fans alike just to watch the inner workings of the New England Patriots and who knows, maybe they do it the final season that, you know, Belichick's here. I highly doubt it, but that would be just just to look into the way that things are done down there at Foxborough and it's just, I mean, Bob, you and I we both, I mean, have talked ad nauseum about how long we follow this team. Of course, you're only a couple years older than I am, so you have you have a uh, you. you know a, a little long yeah, you're welcome a little longer uh, you know uh, memory than I have a little longer tenure. 
But, uh, I mean, if you just look back and, I mean, uh, just, I mean, I, I guess before Belichick, I mean, you had Parcells. Oh, Parcells and, but... You know, Chuck Fairbanks, uh, you know, but, of course, he left them in, in the lurch before, you know, the 1978 playoffs by going to Colorado and then comes back to coach the one the one home playoff game that they have for, like, 30 which, years. Which made no sense at all. I mean, it, oh, it, 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 just... and then Parcells. You know, as much as he's a great coach in his last year, and they went to the Super Bowl, he wasn't even thinking about the Super Bowl. He already had his next job lined up, and he didn't even fly back uh, to the yeah. team, which he lost just, a lot of my respect. Then, you know, because if a player had done that, he'd have been off the darn team. Yeah, I mean, that's the one thing. And, and uh, you wrote an article not too long ago about the Patriots Hall of Fame, which is a phenomenal article. And, and each year, Bill Parcells comes out and Oh, you know, let's let, let's bring him into the Patriots Hall of Fame. I, I, I'm sorry, I think Bill Parcells is a Hall of Fame coach. He obviously is. I mean, he's brought two different franchises, um, you know, to the Super Bowl in the New York Giants and the New England Patriots. Uh, he made the Jets, who were a laughing stock, uh, into a very good team that uh, you know had a lead in the in the second. Uh, in the second half against the Denver Broncos in 1998. And then he brings Dallas back to, I, I think, the only playoff game they've had in the last 10 years. Um, and even Miami, you know, when he was football Caesar there, they, I mean, they went from worst to first. So Parcells is definitely a Hall of Fame-worthy coach. Of course, he was elected to the Hall of Fame last year. He is not, in my mind, a Hall of Fame-worthy worthy New England Patriots coach. I agree. And I might get beat up for that because people think, oh, Parcells did this, Parcells did that. Parcells, of course, he did take over for a 2-14 and 14 team uh, under Dick, Dickie McPherson that uh, you know was great. But he had, you know, some talent there. I mean, they, they, they had Ben Coates already on the roster. I mean, he was a second-round draft pick, uh, sorry, fifth-round draft pick in 1991 uh, out of Livingston State. You know, he had got lucky enough to get the first-round draft pick uh, in Drew Bledsoe, who turned into a great player. They had a, a, a left tackle um, who was phenomenal in, in Bruce Armstrong. A lot of people forget how great Bruce Armstrong was. And, I mean, Vincent Brown, you know, was, was there his, his first year. I mean, they had some pretty good players. They just didn't have the direction. And while Parcells, you know, he did some great things. I mean, uh, but, I mean, 93, he, he drafts uh, – Bloodsoe, and then of course in the eighth round he drafts, um, you know Troy Brown, who ended up being uh, great players for the New England Patriots. But you know he was 32 and 32 in his career um, without, uh, you know, in New England. And, and the one thing that I've always said about Bill Parcells, as great as he was, the man had a losing record without Bill Belichick as his defensive coordinator. Did you know that? Yeah, I, I did. But I'm not going to lay that all on on either of them. I, my big thing with with uh, Parcells, I don't think he was here long enough to deserve to be in the Patriots Hall of Fame. I, I'm with you. Yeah, as far years, as the Pro just... Football Hall of Fame, I don't think there's any doubt. But as far as the Patriots Hall of Fame, there's a long list of players I would put in long before him uh, in, in the Patriots Hall of Fame. And Russ Francis would be the first one. I, I don't understand why Francis is not in the Patriots Hall of Fame. I, I don't I don't get that. You know, I mean, even Raven Claiborne, uh, you know, he was, of course... Yeah. A finalist this year with Ty Law, the, tied with Ty Law, of course, on top of interceptions in a in a uh, uh, career for the Patriots. But yeah, I mean, Parcells wasn't here long enough. It was four. It was four seasons. But I mean, 
he's even come back as saying, you know, he probably shouldn't have left. Um, and I mean, can you imagine? I mean, that team was on the, you know, on the ascent um, for the New England Patriots. Oh, they, they were they were on the cusp right. of being a. Oh, they were where on they the, are now. Yeah. They were ready to make that move until he left. And on. And unfortunately, you know, we see what Pete Carroll's done now in in Seattle with with John Schneider and what they've created. Unfortunately for Carroll, there was he didn't have that same comfortability with Bobby Greer. I mean, they got four draft picks for uh, for Bill Parcells, and not one of them turned out to be a phenomenal player. You know, and then if they got a draft pick for Curtis Martin, unfortunately. That draft pick ended up being uh, Robert Edwards, who, um, you know, of course, tore his knee up, and, and that's unfortunate. Of but all they, the players, just, of all the players that have left New England, Martin is the one that I regretted the oh, most. Yes. A class act uh, came from Pittsburgh. His there were all kinds of question marks, and on his durability, and I, he was just a class guy. Remember the story, Jeff? It was. I want to say in his second year with New England, and he was, remember, he hit high five his fans on his way out of the stadium, and there was a young boy there that handed him an invitation to his birthday party, <laughs> and yeah. he showed up. I mean, come on. How many pro football players do those things? Uh, so he, of all the Patriots that have ever left during their prime or while they were still good players, Martin is the one that just sticks in my craw, and I, I yeah, even when he went to the Jets, I actually was rooting for him as much as I hated the Jets. I liked him. Yeah, I mean, he was a phenomenal, phenomenal football player, and you know I, that's that right there is mismanagement at its finest. You had a you had a running back who was, and you know how much I love running backs, but you had a running back that was just, I mean, he was he's probably one of the five best. Maybe ten best running backs in NFL history, and you let him go after a few years. I mean, and, and of course, the Red Sox when they lost Carlton Fisk. It's, oh, I mean, yep. it, was, it or, never should have happened. Bruins losing Bobby yeah. Orr, yeah. you know, uh, it's just it, these things shouldn't happen. There are certain players that should just be there. Bobby Orr being one of them. Carlton Fisk. You know, we hope that Tom Brady retires in New England Patriot, even though I've said I, I don't think that happens. I think they'll move on for him before he's ready to retire. Um, I hope that isn't the case. I hope Brady plays off this, you know, the next three or four years he's under contract and just, you know, walks away. Gracefully, I, I don't want to see the, you know, the Willie Mays just holding on for last dear life and being a shell of him. He's got such himself. a fire, though, Jeff. He's got that. He, he doesn't want to walk away. I mean, I, I could see him playing into his 40s. And if he does, it's not going to be as a Patriot. And, and I'm, I agree with you. I don't think he's he will finish his career as much as I would love him to. And as much as I read the comments he makes about the respect he has for Belichick and the respect he has for um, Robert Kraft and the Kraft family and, and the whole organ, organization, I still think as long as he's got that fire and thinks he can play, He's going to play football, and and unfortunately, like you, there's going to be a point somewhere down the line. I, I I go back to Green Bay with Brett Favre. The last couple of years, Brett Favre played. I was going like, get out of the game, you you oh, you know, yeah. stop. And he milked it to the Jets, and then the who was it he went to next? Was it Miami? 
well, the Vikings. The Vikings, the Vikings yeah. and, 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 the, and then I mean, he took him to the that season. Yeah. Yeah, that, that 2009 season, he was great. But then he came back in 2010, and, and he just – it was just yeah. gone. They, he had that same fire, and it was just gone. But, I mean, going back to Curtis Martin, I mean, I they lose him. And that was back when you could put the poison pill into the co- the contracts. You know, if, if he had played so many games in New York or New England in a season or something along those lines, they, it would be a huge escalator. So the Patriots couldn't match it. But for some reason, they just they, they they qualified him as a restricted free agent instead of making you know, someone uh, really know, just, pay to get him. Yep. Exactly, yeah. and uh, it just goes to show you how bad that mismanagement was. I mean, when Belichick came in here before the 2000 season, of course they go five and eleven. The salary cap hell that they were in. I mean, they had to release Ben Coates and Bruce Armstrong and and all these great players. That I mean that they had to start over. I mean they had street free agents. Uh, you know, J- J- Joe Andrusi, who ended up being a great guard, was had to uh, had to play. Uh, you know, he was a street free agent coming in to New England because that, that's what they had to do. Uh, I'm trying to think of the other uh, uh, Assam Salama, something like that. I think his name was a street free agent in 2000 coming in and playing the other guard. I mean, this is just uh, I, it's crazy the way they had to. They had the nucleus there, and what they were able to do, and, I mean, basically, Patriots fans complain about the fact that, oh, they don't spend money on this, and they don't spend money on that, but you never hear the Patriots are in salary cap jail. You never see them having to cut extremely good players. That's another another one of my pet peeves is the fans who, you know, want them to spend these huge sums of money without the realization of what it does. That's why you and I were so shocked when they signed Revis. As much as we wanted him, uh, we didn't think it could happen. I mean, let's be honest. Everybody, we had Mike Loiko on. He was poo-pooing it. (laughs) Um, We got Chris Price on. He was poo-pooing it. I mean, no one thought that was going to happen. And and. Hell, I owe I owe a girl a, a, a authentic Revis jersey because of it. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> blame it on Maddie. It's coming. I they, I believe uh, last time I talked to the Patriots Pro Shop that uh, they uh, they will have the authentic jersey sometime in July. So blame it on Maddie is her Twitter Twitter name. I give her a follow because she is going to get a, uh, a, a Revis authentic jersey courtesy of the Patriots Beat Podcast. But the the fact that the Pats were able to do that under the salary cap, in the manner they did it, and signed the other players they signed, that's just great management. And and you can't go out and sign every great player. You can't do it. As much as you would like to say, we want the best player at every position on our team, it just can't happen. And ironically, when you get teams that do have too many great players, their egos are so big that they don't mesh. So what the Patriots do as far as getting really good players and having Belichick, you can't have an ego if you're going to play for Bill Belichick. He's not going to let you have an ego. So, you know, the the team has always been able to build on the run, and and that's the amazing thing. If you go back, you know, 18, go back 18 years, they've had two losing seasons in 18 years. 
That's unbelievable. And I think before that they had like two winning yeah. seasons in yeah. 18 years. It was it, it was that's just an unbelievable statistic. And when the fans get upset, and I unlike you, I want a Super Bowl. I do. I don't go in saying I don't want to win a Super Bowl, but I still have such an appreciation. Nine conference championships they played in, six Super Bowls. I mean, how many teams have done that? Six. Seven, you know, well, seven altogether, yep. but yeah, six Super Bowls since nine, in less than 20 yeah. years. In that 18, in 18 years, years, they've played a third of the yep. Super Bowls. That is unbelievable. That's, that's... From, a t- from, from a team that was a woe-be-gone franchise. I mean, they were, inch, they were inches away from going to St. Louis and being the St. Louis Stallions when James Orthwine bought the team. And I mean... Let's just talk about Robert Kraft just for a quick second here. I know we opened the show to kind of talking about him, but what he was able to do uh, by buying up all the property around Foxborough Stadium and then buying the stadium and having them sign a lease that you know they couldn't get out of, and then you know he goes out and buys the team for about twenty million more than than Myra wanted him to spend, uh, and, and now look at what they have. I mean, Foxborough Stadium will always hold a very special spot in my heart. I mean, it was a piece of crap. I mean, it really was. <laughs> the only parts I, of my you know, body at holes are my butt from sitting on those metal stands <laughs> on an ice cold day or, and being. Numb. I remember going. Uh, I remember going to my first game, fourteen, fifteen years old, and and I'm I'm going to use the bathroom yeah. and and. You peed into a trough. That was the other thing is if you went down to go to the bathroom, they they tended to overflow. And if they, the funny thing was when they first built that stadium, and I'm certain everybody listening has heard the story, they did a a flush off to make sure the bathrooms would work, and they didn't, and they still use the stadium, but everything overflowed. I mean, they had they 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 had people come in and flush every one of the toilets at the same to find out if they would pass inspections and everything. And ironically, I don't think they ever worked completely properly. You had women going into the men's room, uh, and they had to. Yep. You had guards outside so women could use the men's room because the ladies' room wouldn't work. And the ladies' room would have so many people waiting to go in there. It was it was an embarrassment. That stadium was an embarrassment. It really was. And now you have a stadium that's it's hard to believe that Gillette Stadium is now 12 years old. You know, it's it's crazy, and they they just keep doing what they've done down in Foxborough along Route One is just absolutely amazing. And I mean, there's even talk about the NFL draft possibly coming to Boston. I mean, what they've done. I mean, there's been talk about a Super Bowl at some point. I mean, who would have ever thought that when they had a six million dollar hole in the ground uh, called Foxborough Stadium? I mean, give it up to. to uh, Bob Kraft and the Kraft family for what they've they've done for this franchise. And I think people have you know, griped about, well, and, and they talk about the money that he has spent. He used his own money to do everything he did. Uh, yep. Most of these stadiums you see being built are not being built by the owner's money. The taxpayers are paying a large portion. Now, did he get some concessions? Sure, but it was all his money. He invested his money in a team that, prior to his ownership, was not selling out football games when the NFL was. You could get a ticket to a Patriots game walking up the day of the game and get a decent ticket. They were not selling out. Parcells was the beginning of that streak where the sellouts occurred. But prior to that, they didn't sell out the games. 
No, it is. I, they didn't sell the games. In fact, the first game I ever went to was a 38 to nothing victory over the uh, Indianapolis Colts, and uh, and Jeff George was the quarterback. It was the day after Christmas, I believe, in 1993. We weren't sure if we were going to have a team anymore. Um, and I walked up and got 40-yard line yep. seats. I mean, we used to have to – We used to. Have, I lived in, in – I grew up in Natick, Massachusetts, and, and I used to have to go to a, uh, a restaurant in Framingham called the La Catina with my father just to watch games because they were blacked out. I don't think anyone in New England knows what a blackout is. It's just unbelievable. And, you know, we're, we're running a little low on time here, Bob, but the one thing that I did want to mention is uh, – it, it, is, it's, it's kind of funny because this is uh, – follow of ours, it's uh, Sam Percolo, uh, Pericolo, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right. It's at Sam, P-E-R-I-C-O-L-O, and he's done a, a really nice job. He's, he's got a, uh, you know, greatest Patriots by numbers, and, and he brought out number 88, uh, and, and he shows uh, Terry Glenn, and I, I really can't go back and think of too many great 88s for the Patriots, but I would actually say that Terry Glenn is one of the best Patriots of all time, only for one reason. He came out on fire his rookie year in 1996, but if you remember correctly, that was the beginning of the end for Bill Parcells and his famous, you know, if they want you to cook the dinner, you ought to be able to shop for the groceries, because he wanted to draft Tony Brackens, who ended up going to uh, ended up going to the Jacksonville Jaguars, and in the second round, uh, go out and get Mushin Muhammad, who ended up going to the Carolina Panthers. That's what well, that was his draft plan, and of course he leaves. And because he was here, and Belichick, of course, got fired by the Cleveland Browns, and comes aboard and meets Kraft, and then of course uh, he leaves, being uh, the HC of the NYJ, and comes here, and it all stems back to Robert Kraft and Bobby Greer overruling. Bill Parcells and going with the wide receiver in Terry Glenn, and who could ever forget the she's doing yep. okay. Oh, comment. he did a, he did all kinds of digs. Don't put don't put yep. her in the Hall of Fame yet. I mean, it, it was yep. you know he was really you're you're absolutely right, and I had forgotten it. That was the turning point of that was his friction point. with Kraft. That, so the greatest number eighty eight of all time in my book now is Terry Glenn, because if it wasn't for Terry Glenn. We don't have Bill Belichick. There's the link. <laughs> what, is, what is it? The connection of six or whatever that thing is where six. Yeah. Uh, what is oh, God. I, I brought six, six degrees. There you of go. That's it. That's it. You got it. Yep. So. Well, Bob, any last, uh, last minute thoughts on your mind? Well, uh, you mentioned something real quickly and, and it'll be interesting to see because it sounds like the NFL may be interested is the NFL draft in New England, and and what would it mean to Patriots fans? I mean, I'm certain they'll be excited about it uh, if it if it happens. But I, you know, that's that just seems like it ought to be a New York event, and I'm not a New York fan, as you know. Uh, shocked to see the NFL shopping it around. It's another one of those money things. Hello, Roger yep. Goodell. Yep. He should be Goodell should be spelled with two dollar yep. signs. I can't stand that guy. Roger, I hope you. I know he's never going to listen to my podcast, but if he ever does, Roger, go screw yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the and the final thing I had, Jeff, is uh, we mentioned it earlier. The mini camp starts this week. This one is mandatory, unlike the OTAs. Uh, it's Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday of this coming week, uh, and it is open to the media. So we'll we'll see a lot more reporting 
on, on what's occurring there. And the biggest difference between the OTAs and minicamp is what I mentioned before. The minicamp is mandatory. So it will be interesting to see some of the players. Um, Armstead is the one that jumps out at me, whether they show up or not. People are still tweeting me all over the place about Armstead and, boy, can we get him? Will he play? And, you know, the guy hasn't practiced once. I think this week is going to be a telling week. If he can come in and practice, fine. If he can't, he's named it to just scratch off the list. Exactly. Well, for over six years, Seattle Radio has been offering you free exclusive content on your favorite sports teams. In 2014 and 15, CLNS has its biggest plans to date with a mobile app in the works, a website optimized to be lightning fast, our equipment upgrades, and more HD premium exclusive locker room content at TD Garden. We now need your help. Show your support to CLNS Radio, our staff of volunteers, writers, and podcast hosts by going to www.clnsradio.com slash patrons and show your support by keeping CLNS Radio free. No amount is too little. We appreciate it, guys and girls out there listening to us. Uh, this is a passion for myself and Bob and all the other great people in CLNS, our, our, our owners, of course, uh, Nick Gelso, Sean Backey, and Ty Ray, um, really, uh, you know, busting our chops and busting, I'll even say it, busting our balls uh, to give you the, <laughs> it, and there it is, busting our balls. Here. There was, there was, but we're internet radio, so we can swear. I can say fuck. Oh, wait okay. a minute. Uh, edit that one out, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, these guys and, and Bob and I and all the other great uh, personalities and writers that we have, um, not only on the Patriots beat team, I'll give a shout out to our guys, you know, Scott Baines and Bobby Krivitsky and, and, and of course, Patrick Shankar and myself and Bob, but, I mean, the guys like Jared, uh, Jared Weiss and, and Larry Russell and, and all those guys, we, you know, this is, this is what we love. We, we bring this as a passion to you guys and, and, you know, help us out. We're, you know, we're a four letter network, CLNS. We're going to someday be up there with the ESPNs and, and it'll take uh, the sponsorship and help of our friends. And, of course, if you ever want to sponsor anything uh, on CLNS Radio, you can email uh, Nick Gelso at info at CLNS Radio. So uh, that's it for today, guys. We'll see you next uh, next Sunday. And, of course, happy Father's Day to everyone. I'm going to go spend some time with uh, with my family. But uh, for Bob Snowden, I'm Jeff Kane, and this has been Patriot. Have a great week, everyone. Internet Sports Talk Radio, CLNS Radio.